Welcome to our Upward Celebration. Man, what an incredible, incredible crowd. Uh, I want you to know that through Upward Celebration, uh, we've mentioned this in our 8 o'clock and our 9.30 worships as well, there were 240 basketball players, 240 basketball players. There were 30 cheerleaders. There were 32 coaches, which meant several of you were coaching two teams. There were 25 scorekeepers and referees, and there were six people that shared devotions at halftime. That's 333 people being involved in this. And let me tell you, yeah, let's give the Lord, the Lord a hand for that. I appreciate every one of those. But let me tell you, the true hero that made it happen were the kids, but even more than that, the parents, because they, they need a ride. And I know something, two things about the parents in this room already, without even meeting you. Number one, you're crazy, okay? Uh, and number two, you're great parents. You're great parents. Man, you made a great season for your kids. And being crazy, you don't have to be crazy to be a great parent, but it helps, right? And parents will go at a breakneck speed to get their kid to something they really want. And you all did that. And I'm telling you, we're honored to be able to even share this room uh, with you. I would be remiss, I don't want to embarrass him, but man, Jim Radford, whenever I first came on staff here four and a half years ago, Roger, our senior pastor, said, you got to meet this guy. He, he's unbelievable. You can walk out of a gym that is just going crazy, and Jim will walk out with his hair sticking straight up, and you go, Jim, how's it going? He goes, it's awesome. So <laughs> Jim, his, uh, his, Bedlam is in his wheelhouse, and I just love Jim, and of course, he's got a great team that works around him, but man, God bless you guys for all the hard work. Well, hey, here's what we're going to talk about this morning, just for a few minutes, okay? Uh, what we're going to talk about is what does God require for someone to know they have a relationship with him, that they, by him, have been forgiven of their sins, and they have a home in heaven one day. I think it's the most important thing we could talk about today. How do we know that we have a way to heaven and what is that way? So I'm going to begin with John 3.16. You probably already know this verse, but here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Will never perish, but live forever. And here's what that verse simply means. As simply as I know how to put it, it means God has a plan and a purpose for every person in this room today. I'm convinced it would be His perfect plan and purpose for everybody on this planet. God wants us in heaven even worse than we want to get there. That's good news. Man, the good news is God wants us in heaven. Say good news. Say good news. He wants us there. We can get this misconception of, of God being this superpower that's a million miles away off somewhere in a place called heaven that's just waiting for somebody to mess up so he can zap them, right? And there's a judgment side of God, but the most true definition of God is this. He's head over heels in love with you. He's head over heels in love with me. On the, on the days that I cannot love me, he loves me. And he loves you that way as well because his love is perfect and he wants you in heaven. We don't have to sweat that part. He's in your corner. He's on your side. He wants you there, okay? Uh, my wife and I married in September of 1993, and we went on our honeymoon in Colorado. And at one point of that, uh, that stay, we went to Canyon City. And while we were at Canyon City, we visited the Royal Gorge. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the Royal Gorge, okay? Several people. Beautiful place, incredible place. Uh, you know, we went on the suspension bridge that's over 1,000 feet above the Arkansas River that's raging below, right? Uh, they say it's the highest suspension bridge in the world. A dog could trot across it, and you could feel it shake. They say it's supposed to do that. I don't know. But anyhow, we were on that bridge. And while we were on that bridge, we looked way down below, over 1,000 feet, and there were these little things down there that looked like ants, and they were people. And then we took the steepest train track in the world down to the bottom of that gorge, and we were standing 
right by the Arkansas River, and we looked over a thousand feet above to that suspension bridge, and there were little things up there that looked like ants, and those were people. And then we took like the, the sky car thing on cables across the canyon. That'll increase your prayer life. And we did all that kind of stuff, right? It was incredible. But the last thing we did, I'll never forget, we stood at this little outlook place, a little concrete slab that was kind of poured out over the, the gorge with bars all around it. Thank God for the bars. And we looked straight down at the Arkansas River. We looked at the mountains around. And I'll never forget, we'd been married about three days at that point. And I said to my bride, I said, Joy, if all I knew of God was what I could see from this platform, that's the only thing I knew he created, I'd still know he was almighty and all-powerful. And here's what the impression that was in my heart. It was kind of like God speaking to my heart. Now, I've, I've never heard God in an audible voice I've heard testimony as such. I'm not going to disagree with that. Everybody's got their story. But it's just kind of that gut impression, you know, the impression he leaves in your heart. And, and it, the gut feeling was this. It was as if, as if God was saying, you are blown away by everything you can see here, aren't you? And I thought, man, I sure am. You love the mountains that I created for you. I said, man, love the mountains. You love the clouds that are rolling in over those mountains. I thought, man, incredible, amazing. You love the white water over 1,000 feet below in this canyon. I thought, blowing my mind, just blowing my mind. And then it's as if God said this. Well, I want to tell you what I love. It's not the mountains. It's not the clouds. It's not the water. But you see those little people down there that look like ants? Those little things. That's who I love. And that's who I've come after. And that's what I'm passionate about, about people. I want to fast forward 14 years. My wife and I whitewater raft a lot. And one time we drove, we were living in Springfield at the time, we drove from Springfield to, uh, to Denver, picked up some friends of ours that were flying in uh, from Houston. And we did three days of whitewater rafting. And one of those days, we rafted through the Royal Gorge. And so... On that particular day, we were told it, that Denver had had, or Colorado had, the least amount of snowfall in 100 years. And if you know anything about whitewater rafting, it's all dependent upon the snow mountain off the mountains. And so the rapids were like almost twos and threes, you know, kind of a four, borderline five, a six will kill you. But, but it just wasn't like we were used to. So we had longer times between the rapids to kind of hang out and talk. And our guide, you know, the guy in the back of the, of the raft that's supposed to, like, keep you alive, his name was Sean. He was 23 years old, and Sean was a dude kind of guy, okay? And you can tell by the way I say dude that I'm not a dude kind of guy. I'm a Missouri farm boy here. So, but nevertheless, we were talking to Sean, real free spirit. He ran a ski lift during the wintertime, and he was a guide for a, a you know, a whitewater rafting company during the uh, rest of the year, summertime. And so in between those rapids... We begin to engage in a conversation, and we begin to talk about Jesus. And uh, while we were going down that canyon, we were getting fairly close to the, to the bridge, didn't really know when that was going to come into play. But, uh, you know, by that point, the canyon was deep. And I said, Sean, it's kind of like this. It's like a thousand feet up there, you look, it's like all of mankind is on that cliff. And a thousand feet up over on this side, God is over on that one. And God is perfect and pure, and we all have sin in our life. And how can we get across to God, because this white water we're on, it represents sin, and sin separates us from God. So we need help. It, we can't get there on our own. How can we get from one side to the other? And as God would have it, we turned this little bend in the, in the river, and way, way ahead, I could just see, for the first time, that suspension bridge. And I said, Sean, the bridge, that represents Jesus. The only bridge that we have to get from sinful me over to perfect God is Jesus and what he did. And then Sean said, dude, he said, let me get you to this next rapid. 
And I, and I want to tell you something. So we get through the next rapid, and then he says, so it's kind of cool that you say over on this side is, is all of us, mankind, and over on this side is God, because over on this side, that was the side the train ran up and down, and there was soot and heat and everything from that stack, and those rocks were filthy, and nothing was growing there. And Sean said, that would be us, because nothing will grow over on that side. And over on this side, there's all this greenery and all this beauty, and that would be God. And at that point, I'm going, you know, Sean, you're doing a lot better job telling this story than I am. Why don't you just run with it, right? And then he says, hey, Bob. And I said, yeah, Sean. He said, you see the filthy stuff on those rocks over there? I said, yeah. He said, man, that's my heart. And I need Jesus. And a little bit later, while we were floating under the Royal Gorge Bridge, 23-year-old Sean was surrendering his life to Christ. Now, I rewind 14 years where my bride and I stood on this overlook and God said, you know what impresses me? You know what I'm head over heels in love with? It's not all the stuff that you look out and say is beautiful. It's people. It's people. And somewhere on that day, there was a nine-year-old kid running around somewhere in our nation that 14 years later came to Christ in that spot. And I can't stress enough, John 3.16 shares with us, God wants us in heaven worse than you want to get there worse than i want to get there he's for us 100 that's good news say good news. good news with the good news comes some bad news say bad news, bad news. let's look at romans 3 23 you know the verse for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god say all, all. say all. all you know what that means you got it everybody we're all sinners if you only knew the wicked thoughts that can cross this preacher's brain i'm telling you i am wicked and the bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god we know what sin is sin is doing something wrong when we know it's wrong we still think about it we have a choice to do it or not we choose to do it happens far too much in my life that's sin and sin separates us from god here's why god's so holy so perfect so pure so clean and how else would he be i mean he's god right he's so incredibly clean what i would view as the least of my sin is so drastically different from how clean god is i'm telling you it completely separates me from god so i am separated i'm absolutely separated i don't have a shot of getting to heaven in my own strength god wants us to go there good news he wants us there which we want to get there bad news we can't go because all have sinned that word sin the original uh, use of that word was an archery term matter of fact back in the day that god was writing the book of romans through a guy named paul it's god's word not paul's word but he was a human instrument i want you to know that people didn't have shotguns and rifles like we do today they shot archery okay and i don't know what their targets looked like back then but i know our targets today are typically round they have multicolored circles that go down to one little dot in the middle that's usually either red or black and it's called the what bullseye and everybody wanted to shoot and hit the bullseye, right? But every once in a while, something unusual would happen with that arrow. What would happen is the shooter would draw back and would miss the entire target. Now, he would not, he would not miss it by overshooting the target. He would miss it by undershooting the target. Maybe the knock on the arrow was new. Maybe the string was too thick. Maybe he just messed up. But he drew back, he'd release, and that arrow would take a nosedive and fall short of the target. It would stick in the ground somewhere between shooter and target, and whenever that happened, an official on the side would go, sin, and that's what a sin was back in this day. And God, through Paul, writing in a lingo they would understand, simply said this, our lives are like those arrows. Bullseye would be perfection. 
Not only can we not make the bullseye, we can't even make it to the stinking target. We fall short. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I, I joined a church much like this one that was a great church with a great pastor whenever I was a six-year-old boy. But I'm telling you, in my mind, I felt like I joined the club. And here's what the next 17 years of my life was like. I had this balancing scale idea. Balancing scale idea means whenever I get to heaven, maybe there'll be some angels there, and they'll take some scoop shovels, and they'll shovel all the bad stuff I've ever done on this side. And then they'll take some scoop shovels, and they'll shovel all the good stuff I've ever done on this side. And if the good side outweighed the bad side, God would go, whew, that was close, but come on in. But if the bad side outweighed the good side, God would go, sorry, bud, you've got to go to hell. And that's probably most people's idea. And it makes sense. I don't think people are foolish for thinking that. Humanistically, it makes sense. Come on. Can we really get something as incredible as heaven for nothing? Surely we've got to have some skin in the game. Surely we've got to do something. That's what my mind thought. Thankfully, we don't have to have skin in the game. It's not the balancing scale. If it was, I'd be in deep weeds. And I'm telling you, there's only one way to heaven and not by balancing scales. But we're going to talk about that way here in just a moment. But it's so important that we understand that even though I was a member of a church, that I came to the place that I realized I couldn't be Baptist enough or Presbyterian enough or Methodist enough or Catholic enough or non-denominational enough. I'm not throwing stones at any of that. But it was never going to be by my good works that I would get to heaven. It was going to take something much bigger than my good works to get over my sin. Much bigger. I'll give you an example. My wife and I, we've probably been to India about 20 times. And probably the first six or seven times that we went, our doctor would say, do not get on that plane without getting a vaccination against cholera. You got to get a cholera vaccination. It's eradicated from that area of the world now. But back in those early years, we always had to get a cholera shot. And you know what live vaccines do. What they actually do is whenever they give you that vaccine, stick that needle in your arm, it actually shoots just a little bit, just a little bit of that dreaded disease in your system. And what happens is, the way God created our bodies, your body picks up on that and says, wait a second, what is this coming in here? And it builds a natural immunity to that illness. So they give you just enough to keep you from getting the real thing. They give you just enough to keep you from getting the real thing. Well, what had happened with me, unbeknownst, in a great church, I was vaccinated with religion. I was getting just enough, Christmas, Easter, giving a little money to the poor every once in a while, trying to help somebody out. That, that, those works in my life was keeping me from getting the real thing. And the real thing is Jesus and realizing that our works will never cut it. Our works, there's only one thing that gives us favor with God. So what is that one thing? Well, let's look at the next verse. Remember, say good news. John 3, 16, God wants you there where you want to get there. Say bad news. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned. It separates us from God, and we can't go to heaven. In our strength, we have to go to hell. We don't have a choice. So it brings us back to good news again. Say good news. I love this verse. Listen to what it says. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I want to read that again, and I want to emphasize certain words. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Still a bunch of busted up, broken, messed up people. God didn't say, meet me 50% of the way. You've you got to have something in this thing. 
God didn't even say, meet me 1% and I'll meet you the other 99%. God knew we were helpless and hopeless and while we were still sinners, he sent a full-on rescuer. He said, you cannot come to me, so I'm going to go all the way to you. And here's the reason why I couldn't even cough up 1%. If I said to you right now, I've been thinking it over, and I think I'm going to be perfect for the rest of my life. How many in this room by a show of hands think I can get that done? Thanks for coming, okay? <laughs> and you're right. I'm not undermining it. I'm not justifying it. I'm not excusing it away. But as long as we're in these decorated dust bodies, these human bodies, we will have a sin issue. Do I want to live life that bring honor and glory to God? Yes. Do I get that done a lot? No. There are days that I know what I'm getting ready to do is going to be wrong, and I still choose to do wrong. I'm telling you, we're sinners, and we're separated from God. So God said, I'm going to, I'm going to demonstrate, I'm going to give my love to you, and while you're even messed up, I'm sending the rescuer. So what did he do? Well, who was the rescuer? It was Jesus. And you know the story. He was born of a virgin. He walked this earth for 33 years, 100% God, yet 100% man. Now, I was 24 years old before I surrendered to this. I've been a church member since I was six, but I was 24. And there were two hurdles that I needed to clear. Something didn't make sense to me. Number one, how does a virgin have a baby? And number two, how do you have 100% God yet 100% man at the same time. That just didn't compute in my human brain. So I had to ask two fundamental questions. Question number one, do I believe there's a God? And I always have. As a matter of fact, there's just too many intricate details of this universe, let alone my town, to not believe, for me, that there is a master planner. There's a designer. I don't believe it happened by accident with a cosmic thing somewhere. No two fingerprints alike Somebody had to design this. It's just too intricate, too detailed, too intelligent. So, is there a God? And my answer was yes. I just don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I've got great friends that are atheists, and I love them. But for me, I just don't have enough faith to think it all happened by accident. So, second question I had to ask was, can God do anything? And if, he's, if he can't do anything, then he's not God. And if I could figure him out, he wouldn't be much of a God. So I asked those two questions. Do I believe there's God and can God do anything? And here's what I realized. I didn't have to throw my brain out the window to become a follower of Jesus. There's more evidence that this is true than anything else on the planet. The manuscript evidence will, will drown any other book on the planet by far and away. The prophecy fulfilled evidence, the list goes on and on. But still, no matter how much you can look at this intellectually and see there still are a couple of components we must embrace by faith. That's saying, I don't get it here, but God, you're God, and I'm not. So you know what? I believe in the virgin birth, because God can do anything. I believe he was here 100% God, yet 100% man for 33 years, because God can do anything. And by the way, what better way could God prove to us that he understands us than to become us? Not on a two-week mission trip, for 33 years, the Bible says, in all ways like we are tempted, he was tempted. There's not a single thing we've ever faced that he didn't face while he was here on earth. Now, he did not give in to the temptation. He remained perfect. I give in to the temptation. I'm a sinner. But I'm telling you, he gets it. He understands you. He understands me. He gets it when we cry, and he gets it when we laugh. He's experienced everything we've ever experienced. He died on a cross, and his blood was shed to cover our sin. Cover our sin. 
And then he rose from the dead because he's God and he can do anything. And because he's God and he can do anything, he can forgive us of anything, everything. There's no sin too big for God to forgive. No sin too big. So there's only one thing that gives us favor with God, and it's the blood of Jesus. It's the fact that Jesus came and died and rose again, and he paid that price so that our sins could be forgiven because it was going to take something much bigger than our good works, and it took something so big that God sent the rescuer. So my favor with God is not based on my goodness. My, my favor with God is not based on how bad I am. My favor with God is based on one thing. Have I surrendered to his son Jesus who paid our price in full? Have I done that? It's the only thing that will cause us to, to really know that we have this relationship. So I want to go to the next verse. Next verse says this. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Say whoever. You know whoever is? Anyone. Everyone. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It means to be saved from our sin. It means to be saved from hell. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. At age 24, here's what I did. I realized that I would had a bunch of stuff crammed in my head whenever I was a kid. And thank God for those people that crammed in my head because most of them had good intentions. And it was truth. It was truth. But I'd never taken it out of my head and put it in my heart. And I'm telling you, at age 24, I remember just communicating with God, this simple communication. God, I'm stuck. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I can't even take a baby step toward you. In my strength, I have to go to hell, even though I believe you want me to go to heaven. So I need to be rescued. And you sent the rescuer. Your son, Jesus, died on a cross for me, rose from the dead on the third day. His blood covered my sin. So I want to ask you right now, Jesus, forgive me of all of it. Wash me clean. There's nothing you cannot do. And Jesus, from this moment on, I do, not want, I do not want you just to be the God of my pastor or the God of a priest or the God of a church or the God that my great aunt used to talk about at all of our family reunions. But from this moment on, I want you to be my God. This is you and me one-on-one. It's a relationship. It's never been about a religion. It's never been about a religion. Final verse. Final verse is John 1, 12. But as many as received him, whenever you do that, Jesus, I want you to be my God. Forgive me of my sins. I trust your strength, not mine, to get me to heaven. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You know who our dad is whenever we embrace Jesus? It's God. Listen to the last part. To those who believe in his name. I wonder today, maybe several people, that would say, I'm not 100% sure that if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. I'm just not sure. Listen, we can know. March 6th of 2022 can be the day that you look at for all eternity saying, that's when I started a relationship. I'm not talking about a religious thing. Joining this church will never get you to heaven. Never. It's always about a relationship with Christ. I'm not knocking church. It's a good thing to go. It's a place where other busted up people that are imperfect, just like me, hang out and worship God together and love together and laugh together and cry together. But I promise you, no perfect church. Billy Graham used to say, the one big problem with every church is every, every member is a human being. If this church was perfect, it became imperfect the day I joined. We're all just a bunch of busted up people. But I'm telling you, God 
loves church, and we love, you know, it's great, but church won't do it. Church will not get you to heaven. It's a relationship. It's not checking boxes off on a religious list. It's one thing. Jesus, I surrender. As sincerely, say sincerely. Sincerely. Say sincerely. sincerely. As sincerely as I know how. Forgive me. As sincerely as I know how. I, I, I turn my back on sin and I follow after you. I, I'm not jumping through a religious hoop. I'm not playing games. As sincerely as I know how. See, I haven't been everything I promised God I'd be for him. But he's never stopped being more than everything he promised he'd be for me. And the moment we receive that sacrifice, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he cancels your past sins, your current sins, and he covers your future sins because we're still gonna screw up. He does that. It's unbelievable. I close with this. My wife and I used to live in Springfield, Missouri for several years. And and, the first house we bought was a little house just north of uh, I-44. And one mile north of our house was Truman Elementary School. And about a mile north of that was our office. And about two miles north of that was the church we attended. So that means that every day that I'd go to the office or go to church, I had to drive through Truman Elementary School Zone. You, you know school zones? Like the sp- speed limit goes down to like minus 25, okay? Ever been there? I'm running late everywhere I go. And it used to drive me nuts to slow down. It was a long stretch of blacktop, and it would just drive me crazy. I always obeyed it because I knew the importance of it. But I would go, oh, my gosh, how long is it going to take me to get through this school zone? And it would just drive me crazy until August 29th of 2001. And on August 29th of 2001, Isaiah David Caldwell, our oldest son, became a kindergarten student at Truman Elementary School. And it became my thrill to slow down. I would go five miles an hour to go through that school zone. Somebody was speeding through that school zone, I wanted to yank them out of the truck. They would have beat the dog out of me going, you know, if I would have. But I'm telling you, you don't speed through my kid's school zone, you know. It became my love. But here's the difference. You see, before that, I was doing it out of a sense of duty. After that, I was doing it out of a sense of love. And here's the difference between religion and relationship. Duty, check the boxes, war slick, wonder if I'm good enough. Relationship, God, I'm sunk. I can't even take a baby step toward you. I have to go to hell in my strength. You're my only ticket out of here. I need to be rescued 100%, and I believe you sent the rescuer, Jesus. You died on a cross for me, and you rose from the dead on the third day. And today, right now, I want to embrace that. I want to ask you to forgive me of all of it, everything I've ever done. I want to ask you to forgive me. And from this moment on, I want you to be my God. Not just the God of my parents, my grandparents, my pastor, my preacher, my priest. My God. Because it's a one-on-one encounter. Let's pray together. Father, again, we just say thank you for being such an amazing God. And Lord, by the way, these children, amazing. How in the world they stayed this focused is beyond me. And I think, again, it's a reflection of great parents in this room. And God, being a father of five, I'm telling you, I can testify, these kids are great. But Father, I, I just pray again for clarity and for courage all over this room. This is your invitation. It's not ours. We won't manipulate 
It's never about that. But God, I do pray you give courage over this room. Lord, we just want to tell you we love you. It's all about you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask that heads remain bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I I want us to kind of think through this this invitation because God invites us to move toward him. He'll meet you 100%. He'll meet you at the point of your need, but he invites us to move toward him as well whenever we understand this message. And, And here's how. In a moment, not yet, but in a moment, we'll stand up and David's going to begin to sing along with this worship team. And If you're here this morning and you'd say, I'm not 100% sure that if I died tonight, I would go to heaven. I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to take some courage. I'm going to ask you to make your way here to the front. We have a full front pew right here and a full front pew right here and almost a full second pew right here behind Jim. And all you need to do is just come up and just take a seat. Somebody will come to you. You don't have to stand up here in front of everybody. If you'd rather not, you'll never have to stand up here in front of anybody. But I want to encourage you to do that, to take that stand if you're saying, I'm not 100% sure. And someone will come to you, and they'll walk with you just a little bit in God's Word to see if you understand this free gift of Jesus and that you have embraced Him as your only way to heaven. Now, I want to be really clear with this. You know it's against Christianity to impose Christianity? If I'm twisting somebody's arm, you stay right where you are. Because if I can talk somebody into something today, somebody else can talk them out of it tomorrow. That's the way it goes. And, but if you feel on the inside, on the inside, Roger, if you'd come, and I want to ask our staff to go ahead and uh, start to come as well, maybe some other leadership and uh, different ones. But, but I'm going to tell you, if, if somebody can talk you into something today, somebody can talk you out of it tomorrow. So if, if you're feeling pressure from the outside, stay where you are. But if you're feeling conviction from the inside, just that pressure of saying, I, I need to really do this. I need to really do this. Charlene, if you go right here. I need to really do this. Then that's the time to come. That's the window. Now, we have a lot of children in the room. So I'm going to ask this. For the children in the room, if you are under the age of eight, and I know different kids understand things different times, I'd only want anybody, let me just say this, if you're a child in the room, really only want you to come if your parents come with you. If your parents, we respect parents here at the Ridge Church. That doesn't mean that children can't come to Christ. Sometimes they've got the great, greatest faith. Amen? And I don't want to bottleneck that in any way, but I do want mom and dad to understand. So whenever we stand to sing in a moment, if you're saying, I don't know, I'm not sure, I'm going to encourage you as we stand and sing to make your way and just sit on one of these pews and, and uh, Somebody will approach you. If you want to say the person next to you, will you you go with me? Maybe you know somebody around you you feel like God might be dealing with, and you say, I'm not pushing you, but if you need a friend, I'll be that friend. Let's all stand to our feet, and as you need to come, as you need to come, you come.